Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. To the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, February 11th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guest, Dr. David Perlmutter. Dr. Perlmutter is the author of the current best-selling book, Grain Brain, The Surprising Truth About Wheat, Carbs, and Sugar, Your Brain's Silent Killers. Additionally, Dr. Perlmutter authored The Better Brain Book, Power Up Your Brain, and more. Dr. Perlmutter received a Linus Pauling Award, among others, and he is the only doctor in the country with both board certification in neurology as well as being a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, a refreshing combination. He is president of the Perlmutter Health Center in Naples, Florida. Our topic today is Grain Brain, the surprising truth about wheat, carbs, and sugar, your brain's silent killers. Welcome, Dr. Perlmutter. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me today. Thank you so much for being with us. Dr. Perlmutter, let's orient ourselves. People listening to this program are probably in the sandwich generation, parents under oxidative stress, taking care of cognitively challenged children, and mentally declining parents. Their children particularly have been hit at a critical neurodevelopmental window. Is the information that you are about to share with our listeners here today able to help all of these age groups? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, basically what we're going to talk about today, Terry, is going to be helpful for anyone who has a brain. So that, that kind of includes, that kind of throws a large net. Okay, very good. Let's start, please, with the concept of food as a powerful epigenetic modulator, explaining to our listeners what epigenetics means along the way. Absolutely. You know, for years, we've understood food from the perspective of macronutrients, meaning fat and carbohydrates and protein, as well as micronutrients, things like vitamins and minerals. But it turns out that the very foods that we eat are actually information actually sending signals to our DNA. The food that we consume controls the expression of our code of life. And that's a very, very powerful notion. But that's what epigenetics is all about, that food and other lifestyle choices changes, change rather, moment to moment, the expression of our DNA. You know, back in the, when I was in medical school, DNA was thought about as being pretty much locked up in a glass case and it determined who and what you would be. Uh, and now we understand that, in fact, we have a huge uh, amount of control over the expression of that life code. So what a very empowering notion, especially when you recognize that more than 70% of the genes that code for health and longevity are actually under this uh, epigenetic control. So we, look, we need to look at food not just as what it's made from, uh, in terms of the macro and micronutrients, but look upon food as information. And when we do that, we recognize that we can epigenetically control our DNA, for example, to explode its production of antioxidants within our body, not just relying upon the fact that we're drinking an antioxidant rich, rich, uh, rich berry juice or we've taken a handful of vitamin C tablets. We can target our genes to turn on the expression of antioxidant uh, creation within our physiology and therefore protect ourselves, protect our fat, protein, and DNA from being damaged, for example, by free radicals. What a powerful concept. Food it, as... it really is. Food as information. I mean, you know, there's so much debate these days about a high-fat diet, low-carb diet, etc. What should the right ratios be? But when you take a step back and recognize that our food is communicating with our genetic legacy, our genome that has evolved over two and a half million years, it really contextualizes food, I think, in a whole new and very empowering way. 
It certainly does, Dr. Perlmutter, and that also gives us a message of hope, I would think, that diseases don't need to be lifelong and forever. That's right. And, uh, you know, we kind of live under the doctrine these days of, well, live your life come what may. And then when you begin to uh, find that you're not cognitively where you want to be, you're walking into the room, you don't remember why, you can't find your keys, then you're kind of told that, well, there's going to be a pill for that. The bottom line is, as we have this conversation today, Terry, there is no pill uh, that can enhance your memory. There's no treatment for Alzheimer's. There's no treatment for cognitive decline. And our treatments uh, for uh, kids, for example, who have been diagnosed with ADHD is abysmal. Uh, you know, that's six and a half million American children that have been given a diagnosis of this so-called disease, ADHD. And you know, the real heart-wrenching part of that story is that two-thirds of those kids in America right now are receiving mind-altering amphetamine medications under the direction of their treating doctor with the acquiescence of their parents because this is business as usual. You know, 85% of the ADHD medicines that are manufactured on the planet are used right here in the United States. And I don't think that's necessarily a statistic that we should be proud of. I've even heard, uh, Dr. Perlmutter, that some medications, perhaps even including medications that are given to children for uh, autism spectrum diagnosis, ADHD, ADD, contain something like fluoride. Is that true? Well, I think beyond that, uh, whether they do or don't, and, and I think that, you know, the issue with fluoride, I think, is far from settled overall. I think there's some definite health concerns about it. But even the standard well-described uh, side effects that you'll find when you review the physician's desk reference, for example, of these amphetamine-based stimulant drugs that kids are taking, millions of kids are taking, those are well-described, things like tick disorders, uh, the development of Tourette's syndrome, stunting of growth, sleep disorders, depression, suicidal ideation. You know, these things happen, and they're described as possible side effects in the package insert. So there's nothing theoretical about that. Those are things that happen with uh, measurable frequency. And, you know, the scary part is that the tick disorder, the Tourette's thing that can happen from these medications, doesn't necessarily go away when the medicine is stopped. There are cases now appearing in the literature where these things become lifelong. They become permanent. And if you think a child was stigmatized before because he or she wasn't paying attention in school, now that they've developed full-blown Tourette syndrome, that's really a stigma that they've got to live with. And, and beyond that, how is that treated? Generally with aggressive medications. Wow. I really thank you for bringing this information out to our listeners. And so it sounds like with those medications, Dr. Perlmutter, we're actually speaking the wrong kind of information to those children's bodies and that there's a real problem uh, in this country that we're not being given the information that food is information, as you You're said. exactly right. And, you know, uh, again, why doesn't it get out there? And I, I think you know, that, that's absolutely a credit for people like yourself who are doing your very, very best to, to, to vet and, and provide the other side of the story in terms of brain health and all these maladies that seem so common today. And, you know, this book I wrote, Grain Brain, um, has been out now five months and has really, I think, um, taken people uh, aggressively in terms of giving them the other side of the story. The other side of the story, not necessarily from my perspective, although I wrote it, but from the other side of the story in terms of what is the current level of peer-reviewed science telling us. That's what went into writing Grain Brain. You know, not just anecdote. It's written on the basis of my review of over 200 well-researched, published uh, studies that indicate things, for example, like a higher-carbohydrate diet is associated with increased risk for dementia. Now, I don't make that up. That was published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease in January of 2012, a study done at the Mayo Clinic, for example, that showed that diets high in carbs are associated with about an 89% increased risk for dementia to be contrasted with those who eat a high-fat diet and have a risk reduction for dementia of about 44%. 
So, again, I think the level playing field still should be what is the most well-respected, peer-reviewed medical literature telling us. The problem is that the general public isn't made aware of that information. And I think, you know, you might ask, why has this book been so successful now printed and published in 17 countries? I think it's because for the first time people are hearing the other side of the story and they're taking a step back and saying, wow, I never knew that. And, you know, knowledge is power, and it's a very empowering proposition. Well, this book is a bestseller, and people can find it right on a front shelf at their local Barnes & Noble. And for having such important information in it, it is um, engaging and easy to read, and you're talking about peer-reviewed literature. As I was reading through your book, Dr. Perlmutter, I noticed um, Dr. Ari Vajdani's name, and he's a scientist whom I greatly respect. Um, So I know that uh, you did your homework. And, again, this book is called Grain Brain, The Surprising Truth About Wheat, Carbs, and Sugar, Your Brain's Silent Killers. And before we take a break, I'm going to ask you, Dr. Perlmutter, you you know, you focus on gluten as a causal factor in many diseases. When you do that, are you talking about it within or apart from the context of the gut-brain connection? Well, I don't think it's it's reasonable with all due respect to talk about any pathology uh, or any disease state uh, of humans uh, uh, without mentioning the gut-brain connection or the, the gut-heart connection or the heart-brain connection. Because really, you know, this, this notion of this is a heart problem or a brain problem or a joint problem really doesn't hold up anymore. Because the same processes, for example, that lead to coronary artery disease, inflammation and free radical stress, are exactly the same processes that damage joints and lead to dementia. So these things are all related, but but clearly there's this very profound relationship between what goes on in the gut and then what goes on downstream in terms of the brain. I think when we come back from the from the break, I'd like to explore that a little bit further. Very good. How refreshing to hear you validate that, Dr. Perlmutter. And we are going to be right back here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You might want to visit Dr. Perlmutter's website, brainbrainbook.com, and Dr. Perlmutter, G-R-P-E-R-L-M-U-T-T-E-R.com. And we want to thank our sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism and their Kiss Forward Technology. Please visit them at www.brainprolearning.com. We'll be right back. Every child with autism deserves a voice, but for many, using words and language to express themselves is one of the most difficult parts of their day. Fast Forward is an online program that was developed by leading neuroscientists to help these children find their voice. Fast Forward targets the foundational language and processing skills your child needs to become a successful communicator and proficient reader. Get started with Fast Forward at Home today. Visit BrainProLearning.com or call 855-308-1362 to learn more. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Dr. David Perlmutter. He is the author of the best-selling book, Grain Brain, The Surprising Truth About Wheat, Carbs, and Sugar, Your Brain's Silent Killers. I have a copy right here on my desk, and I do recommend this book. And Dr. Perlmutter, before the break, you said that you wanted to pick up on your thoughts about uh, the gut-brain connection, disease, and more. Certainly. The I think the the current science that is really so very exciting as it, it relates to gluten, and that is the work of uh, 
Dr. Alessio Fasano, at, now at Harvard, reveals that when we consume gluten, it stimulates the gut cells to produce a protein called zonulin. And when this protein is produced, it leads to leakiness of the gut. And then we get all kinds of things into the bloodstream which normally would not have made their way to the bloodstream, proteins. And when this happens, it stimulates the immune system, and that means it leads to inflammation. And again, inflammation is the cornerstone of you know, pretty much everything you don't want to get, every degenerative condition, coronary artery disease, Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, and even cancer. So you really want to be uh, sure that the gut lining is intact, and one of the best things you can do is to not eat gluten if you want to maintain good gut integrity. But what Dr. Bassana has identified more recently and I think it's really very compelling, is that this exact same mechanism where gluten consumption increases zonulin, which then makes the barrier leaky, is going on in what is called the blood-brain barrier. Now, the blood-brain barrier, much like the barrier in the gut, is designed to keep things out. It's designed to act as a, a way of keeping bad things from getting into the brain, uh, proteins and viruses, etc. But it turns out According to Dr. Fasano's research, and again, he's at Harvard, he's published this uh, information in Scientific American. According to his work, gluten consumption stimulates the production of zonulin, and it leads to leakiness of the blood-brain barrier, getting proteins into the brain that do not belong there, leading to inflammation. And again, inflammation in the brain is what characterizes things like multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's and even Alzheimer's disease. So this really does tend to shed a, a very a new and important light on the, the pathogenesis of some very, very serious problems. You know, there are 5.4 million Americans right now who carry this diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, and medical science and research is desperate to try to find a cure for the disease. And yet the, the, the literature is really quite profound in telling us that, in fact, this is a preventable situation, and no one's talking about it. It's published. Dr. Deborah Barnes, University of California in San Francisco, published a wonderful report in the journal Lancet Neurology showing us that more than 50% of those 5.4 million Americans who carried this diagnosis of Alzheimer's didn't have to get that disease if they would have known about certain lifestyle issues that may very well relate to this condition. So, you know, it's time that we take a step back from hoping that magic bullets and magic pills are going to pull us out of our misery and, and start to begin to pay attention again once again to these preventable uh, concepts, the idea of preventive medicine as it relates to the brain. Excellent. So let's recap for a moment. You said that ingesting gluten can lead to an increase in zonulin. This can cause a leaky blood-brain barrier. Proteins that don't belong in the brain can get there, and inflammation can be caused, which is a common mechanism found in many of these neurodegenerative diseases. Correct. And there's a Dr. Marios Hajivasalu who is in Sheffield, England, and he's actually published some compelling MRI scans of the brains of individuals who don't have celiac disease but do have what we've talked about, non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And the changes in the deep matter of the brain, the white matter of the brain, are dramatic you know, look for all the world like aggressive multiple sclerosis. And these are people without MS and without celiac disease. Just in relation to their gluten sensitivity, there are these dramatic changes in their brains. Uh, and so we've really got to take a step back and start to rephrase our understanding about what does it mean to be gluten sensitive. It's a lot bigger problem than we had ever conceived of in the past. Yeah, I saw a picture in your book uh, with the contrast, and it was remarkable, and I encourage listeners to go take a look at that in the book, Brain Brain. How do blood sugar and hormones tie in with what you're talking about, Dr. Perlmutter? Again, blood sugar is directly related to the production of inflammation through a mechanism that is called glycation. I'll explain. Glycation is the binding to protein of sugar. 
sugar in your bloodstream, when it's elevated, binds to protein. It's called glycation. And when we bind sugar to protein, it does two very, very bad things. It increases the production of the inflammation chemicals, and it dramatically increases the production of damaging chemicals called free radicals. And this then becomes the relationship between even mild elevations of blood sugar and a dramatic increased risk for developing dementia. You know, in August of last year, in the New England Journal of Medicine was a very compelling study, August 8, 2013, if anyone wants to look this up, that demonstrated that even subtle elevations of blood sugar translate to dramatically increased risk of developing dementia. And these levels of blood sugar are not anything that, you know, most doctors would get excited about. You know, levels of 105 and 110 where typically your doctor might give you a pat on the back and say, well, don't worry about it, no big deal, you're not diabetic. Those levels of blood sugar already translate to a dramatic increased risk of brain shrinkage and cognitive decline, risk for dementia. And make no mistake about it, we control our blood sugar based upon our food choices. When we favor higher consumption of sugar and carbohydrates, blood sugar goes up. Eating more fat will help lower the blood sugar and is the right type of diet uh, for us to be on, a high-fat, low-carb diet. Now, I know that sounds revolutionary, and it is. It's a brand-new diet for humans. It's only what we've eaten for about 2 million years, so it's really a brand-new idea. Well, you say in your book that as soon as someone reads it, they're going to be motivated to change their diet right away, and that's actually true. The very next day, uh, I woke up and I thought, "Mm, I don't want to eat such and such today after I uh, went through your book. So uh, so it is true. Well, last week, Dr. Perlmutter, I interviewed pharmacist Dr. Isabella Wentz about Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And um, you actually validate in your book, Grain Brain, that a compromised gut wall, loss of gut wall integrity, puts one at a greater risk for the onset of an autoimmune disease. Is that correct? Without a doubt. Um, you know, again, uh, the work of Dr. Fasano, uh, his, his, uh, at Harvard, a really very, very compelling study that, that he published really talks about how important uh, gluten sensitivity is in terms of upregulating or turning on uh, the, the entire immune system and leading to things uh, like autoimmunity. So, you know, I think we've got to understand that there are a lot of people out there suffering from autoimmune conditions and, you know, kind of people are scratching their heads wondering why this is happening. Dr. Fasano's article is, uh, I think, really kind of a landmark article uh, in opening our eyes to this whole situation. Uh, The name of his article is Zonulin and its regulation of intestinal barrier function, the biological door to inflammation, autoimmunity, and cancer. Now, that's a bold statement for the, for the title of an article, but, you know, so many people thought that was so compelling that he was invited to write this, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, in Scientific American. So whenever we stimulate the immune system, we're setting up uh, a situation for autoimmunity, for reacting against our own tissues. Women uh, in having um, autoimmune conditions like thyroiditis uh, is so common these days. Uh, When I see a patient with uh, this situation, I I hardly even do gluten sensitivity testing anymore because I just know that is what we're going to find. Uh, That and frequently we may even find some candida overgrowth in these individuals as well. But that said, this correlation between gluten sensitivity and autoimmune diseases is very, very real and very profound. Well, we'll talk about testing a little bit later, but you're right. It just sounds like a lot of the uh, things that you say in your book are just common sense at this point, um, testing or not. So you talked about tick disorders and you talked about Tourette's and that being an adverse effect to medications, but are there so-called mental and movement disorders in people of all ages that are really misdiagnosed gluten sensitivity in the first place? Oh, without a doubt. You know, I just finished a, uh, a, a national tour for public television 
about uh, Grain Brain, uh, about my new book. And in that program, I actually demonstrated uh, a video of a young man, 23 years old, with uh, uncontrollable movements of his arms and legs. A, a nice kid, nothing wrong with this kid, but he just could, you know, he had this flailing movements of his arms and legs. And he was seen by a, a very impressive uh, neurology clinic, and they recommended as a treatment to put Botox in his arms and legs and virtually paralyze his muscles. Well, you know, when I saw this uh, young man, it was interesting that he had had some ADHD issues as a younger uh, kid and had some digestive disorders as well, and we tested him for gluten sensitivity, and he was very positive. We put him on a, nothing more than a gluten-free diet along with some what are called probiotics, good bacteria, again, in an attempt to heal the gut. Now, why on earth would a neurologist be paying attention to the gut? That's, you know, obviously a rhetorical question. But that said, uh, he com became completely healed, lost his movement disorder, and I demonstrated, obviously with his permission, to the public television audience what he looked like before and after going gluten-free. And, uh, you know, I also use videotapes, for example, of a woman who has what's called hemifacial spasm where the side of her face can, is just contorted all the time. The only treatment offered her was also just Botoxing the muscles to make them relax. And she was similarly found to be quite sensitive to gluten and had a complete uh, resolution of her symptoms when she went gluten-free. So, you know, the notion that movement disorders can be related to gluten sensitivity, again, has been published by the work of Dr. Hajivasalu in uh, England and also more recently uh, by uh, researchers uh, in, uh, at Baylor in Texas demonstrating that uh, autoimmune movement disorders can be induced by gluten sensitivity. So Louis Pasteur said that chance favors the prepared mind. And my mission here is that people will keep uh, an open mind and a prepared mind and begin to think about the role of gluten sensitivity when you're scratching your head because there's some kind of medical problem and we can't seem to understand where it's coming from. You've got to move gluten sensitivity almost to the top of the list in terms of possibilities. Absolutely. Well, good for you on this, Dr. Perlmutter. I heard of a teenage boy recently who was given Botox injections for toe walking, and I was just quite alarmed. So, listeners, please do visit during the break, grainbrainbook.com, and Dr. Perlmutter, D-R-P-E-R-L-M-U-T-T-E-R.com. Thank you to this program's sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism, and their fast-forward technology. Please visit them at www.brainprolearning.com. Dot com or call 855-308-1362. We'll be right back. If you are a parent who is dealing with a child who has issues related to a congenital heart defect, be sure to tune in every week to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Jaworski, who serves as your host, has a child who was born with a complex congenital heart defect, and she and her guests will help you discover resources and receive encouragement as you learn how to become an informed advocate in the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna is heard live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Every child with autism deserves a voice, but for many, using words and language to express themselves is one of the most difficult parts of their day. Fast Forward is an online program that was developed by leading neuroscientists to help these children find their voice. Fast Forward targets the foundational language and processing skills your child needs to become a successful communicator and proficient reader. Get started with Fast Forward at home today. Visit BrainProLearning.com or call 855-308-1362 to learn more. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. 
are back with Dr. David Perlmutter, and he is the author of the best-selling book now at your bookstore called Brain, Brain, The Surprising Truth About Wheat, Carbs, and Sugar, Your Brain's Silent Killers. This is a good read. And Dr. Perlmutter, do you consider autism or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder to be autoimmune or epigenetic disorders? Well, that's a very good question. I think that epigenetics plays into every disease that plagues mankind, uh, every disease whatsoever in terms of not only the pathogenesis of it, but also in terms of techniques for improving the situation. So, um, you know, obviously we've changed uh, not our genes, but we've changed how we influence our DNA uh, moving forward with respect to the environment, whether it's because we're challenging these these children with um, mercury preservatives in their in their immunizations or mercury free immunizations, but just giving them too many immunizations at one time, or are there other issues in the environment that may be playing a role? Uh, we don't know. What we do know, and it's quite clear, is that our children are genetically the same as they were 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 10,000 years ago. But yet suddenly something has changed uh, to cause this explosion of this diagnosis of, of autism and autistic, autistic spectrum disorder uh, that, um, you know, it's not a genetic change, but it, it may very well be a gene expression change or a change in uh, what we're doing uh, to them from an epigenetic perspective. So something uh, dreadful is happening, and we, we do know that at least in terms of the mechanism in the brain of these children, the brains of these children, it is somehow inflammatory. So we've got to do everything we possibly can to reduce inflammation uh, in these children. It is a very, very challenging issue to deal with. And, uh, you know, we really have to stay uh, as, as much in front of this as we possibly can. How can we use food, Dr. Perlmutter, to control pro-inflammatory molecules? That's an excellent question. And we know that there are various pathways that we can immediately tap into. And one pathway that's getting a lot of attention as of late is called the NRF, as in Frank, number two, NRF2 uh, pathway. So the NRF2 pathway is one that uh, when it is stimulated, when those genes are stimulated, it does uh, three very important things. It dramatically turns on our body's production of um, antioxidants. It dramatically reduces the body's production of inflammatory chemicals. And third, it in increases significantly our body's ability to do what's called detoxification. It actually turns on the genes that make uh, a form of glutathione called glutathione S-transferase that plays a role in helping the body rid itself of toxins. So how do we epigenetically turn on the NRF2 pathway to reduce inflammation, increase antioxidant protection, and enhance detoxification. Number one, we put the body under stress, uh, an aerobic stress, for example, by doing uh, exercise. Aerobic exercise tends to activate this pathway, but certain foods activate it as well, like broccoli, garlic, uh, turmeric, resveratrol, the omega-3 called DHA. These are all potent activators of the NRF2 pathway. Even coffee and green tea are significantly effective in turning on the NRF2 pathway. So there's a lot of research now uh, ongoing looking at how we can even turn on NRF2 by pharmaceutical means. As a matter of fact, there's a new treatment out, an actual treatment for multiple sclerosis that is based upon this exact platform that takes advantage of this pathway whereby for millions of years we've been able to increase our protection against free radicals and inflammation by eating certain foods. Now, of course, uh, the pharmaceutical companies uh, are jumping on this uh, understanding and creating patentable, uh, patentable products that can be marketed uh, for treating specific diseases based upon uh, this platform. So, Dr. Perlmutter, um, to recap, I asked you about how we could control pro-inflammatory molecules, and you talked about the NRF2 pathway. You said that that can help turn on antioxidants, turn down uh, inflammation 
inflammation, turn up detoxification, making glutathione, and that we can do this by things like aerobic exercise or eating certain foods like broccoli, garlic, DHA, um, containing ingestibles, and green tea. That's right, even coffee. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that made a lot, of, a lot of your listeners very happy just then, I can assure you. Yes, I'm going to pick up the coffee but put down the donut, I think. So how can someone who's listening suspect or confirm that they have or their loved one has a gluten sensitivity, or is that really a moot point at this point because everyone should be getting off gluten? Well, I think that, you know, everyone should really come off of gluten. I know that's a very, very uh, cavalier statement, but that's how I feel, and I'm sticking to it. Now, that doesn't mean that all grains are out. I mean, there are other uh, grains. For example, rice is a non-gluten-containing grain. So there is a place for some small amounts of rice on the uh, table. Quinoa, not specifically a grain, but a grain-like food is, is acceptable as well. But I think we have to look at those other non-gluten-containing foods uh, in the context of how much carbohydrate they actually supply. So, uh, you know, people can walk down the gluten-free aisle of the grocery store and end up loading the grocery cart with breads and pastas and pizza dough and croissants and you name it, thinking they're doing themselves a favor. Uh, when actu- in actuality, these are gluten-free uh, foods, but they're hugely high in carbohydrates. And therefore, they've got to be deleted from the grocery cart because they're still going to be, you know, that's part of the uh, subtitle of my book, The Toxic Role, uh, the brain's uh, hidden toxins, you know, carbohydrates and glucose. So you've still, gluten-free or otherwise, you've still got to be careful of the carb content of the foods that you eat. And let me just say, That even includes fruit and fruit juices. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have an apple a day or a handful of blueberries, but the notion of four to six servings of fruit a day along with a couple of glasses of orange juice makes no sense whatsoever. You know, a a glass of orange juice has about the same carb content as a can of Coke. That is, it contains 36 grams of carbohydrate. That's nine full teaspoons of sugar in a 12-ounce glass of orange juice. Now, I know that's raising a lot of eyebrows on the part of your listeners because here I am sort of bashing orange juice, but just to set the record straight, when you drink a glass of orange juice, it's the same thing as consuming nine full teaspoons of sugar. That's reality. That's hard science. Now what people want to do with that information is, of course, up to them. But I think, you know, my role here is to get that information out to the world, understand hidden sources of sugars and carbs, understand what you're dealing with. We live in this uh, modern day of media sensationalism, and there are a lot of sound bites out there, sound bites about fat, cholesterol, uh, sugar, and other things. Are many of these leading us down the wrong dietary path? Should we just do the opposite of whatever the media tells us <laughs> well, to do? Well, you know, I, I could never say do the opposite of what you hear. I mean, who knows what people are going to hear, of course. But I think there is some sound information that's starting to get out. Uh, I do fully believe uh, that the information about cholesterol somehow being bad for humans and being the enemy was completely and categorically off base. We now recognize that to be true. Cholesterol is desperately important for the life of every cell in your body and perhaps most importantly for brain health. You know, your brain is about uh, 2 to 3% of your body weight and yet 25% of all the cholesterol in your body is in your brain where it plays fundamental roles as an antioxidant. Uh, as a, a, a progenitor for chemicals that, are, that make up the cell membrane. Cholesterol is what we make progesterone, testosterone, estrogen out of. It's what we make vitamin D out of, for example. So the war on cholesterol is silly. Uh, the, the original writers, uh, researchers of the so-called Framingham Heart Study, I actually quote them in the book, uh, indicated that the war on cholesterol has no merit whatsoever. And I think even mainstream medicine is beginning to understand that it's not the total cholesterol that's getting people into trouble. We recognize now that, for example, in elderly individuals, those who have the highest cholesterol have about a 70% reduction in risk for dementia. Wow. So, 
you know, the notion that have high cholesterol and you'll have a heart attack, 50% of people who have a heart attack have a totally normal cholesterol. The big issue is what happens to the carriers of cholesterol, the HDL and the LDL, when they become oxidized or damaged. So oxidized LDL, the carrier of, of cholesterol, is really very, very important. And the surefire way to oxidize your LDL is to allow it to become glycated, meaning allow your blood sugar to raise. If your blood sugar is elevated, you'll, you'll glycate. You'll bind that sugar to proteins in your body like LDL, and that leads to oxidation. When your LDL is oxidized, your body looks upon it as a foreign invader, and that turns on inflammation, again, the cornerstone of our most dreaded con condition. So it, it's a bit of an epiphany. It's a bit of a wake-up call. It certainly is. And, you know, that's the problem. You've just illuminated the problem with sound bites in the media. They are just that. They're just bites, and they don't tell us the full exactly. story. You know what? Your listeners should go to drperlmutter.com, drperlmutter.com, and in the science section, I have listed every peer-reviewed study in an understandable way that's supportive of exactly what you and I have talked about today, Terry. So it's really important, you know, for people to gain an awareness as to where the science really is right now. Absolutely. Well, in addition to visiting drperlmutter.com, please visit grainbrainbook.com and this program sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism and their Fast Forward Technology. You can visit them at www.brainprolearning.com or click on the pretty banner on my host page. We will be right back. Every child with autism deserves a voice, but for many, using words and language to express themselves is one of the most difficult parts of their day. Fast Forward is an online program that was developed by leading neuroscientists to help these children find their voice. Fast Forward targets the foundational language and processing skills your child needs to become a successful communicator and proficient reader. Get started with Fast Forward at Home today. Visit BrainProLearning.com or call 855-308-1362 to learn more. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Back with Dr. David Perlmutter, and he is the author of the best-selling book, Grain Brain, The Surprising Truth About Wheat, carbs, and sugar, your brain's silent killers, and we've been having um, a very invigorating conversation here. So, Dr. Perlmutter, if I've come to this interview after my 4,000th donut or having had toxic exposures to air pollution and more, can I grow brain cells back? Isn't that an incredible concept? And the answer is, uh, without question, yes. And I, I will admit that when I was in medical school, the answer was no. Well, we haven't changed. We just learned a lot more. You know, when we were in medical school, we were told that we had a finite number of brain cells, like 100 billion brain cells, and that was it. And if you drank a beer, that was 20,000 less that you had the next day. But we understand now that we have this process ongoing in our brains 24-7 throughout our entire lifetimes of growing new brain cells, a process called neurogenesis. And uniquely, 
that process occurs in the part of the brain called the hippocampus, which is the memory processing center. So what an empowering notion it is that we have the ability to grow back new brain cells in the brain's memory center. So I, the question you probably want to be asking me right now is how can we enhance that process? And it gets back to a discussion we had earlier, Terry, and that was this idea of epigenetics, that we can control our gene expression. And the good news is that we can actually influence the very gene expression that codes for a chemical that stimulates the growth of new brain cells, meaning we can eat certain foods and do certain lifestyle things to turn on the brain's growth hormone. And the two biggest players are, number one, aerobic exercise. That's the most powerful way to turn on what's called the BDNF gene. That's the gene that codes for the growth of new brain cells. And the other thing is to take the omega-3 that's called DHA. So aerobic exercise, DHA, these are powerful influences that actually stimulate your brain to grow new brain cells basically where you need them most, and that is in the memory center, uh, absolutely giving you a second chance. And one study that was published two years ago in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science from researchers at the University of Pittsburgh demonstrated that you can actually arrest memory decline and after one full year of aerobic exercise, 20 minutes a day, improve memory, increase BDNF levels, and actually show on MRI scans increased size of the brain's memory center. That's like stem cell therapy for your brain that you control, and all you got to do is buy a pair of sneakers and maybe take some fish oil, and off you go. So we should be jogging with our kids and our parents to the bookstore and the health food store. <laughs> well, to me, jog wherever you want. You can even jog in place uh, if you want, but as long as there's 20 minutes of good aerobics each day, that's enough to turn on the gene that allows your brain to grow new brain cells. And no one has ever talked about that before. But, you know, this is the current level of science, and it's so exciting, especially in the context of failed drug attempts uh, to actually make this happen. And yet all you got to do is exercise and, and take a supplement or eat fish. Very good. You do talk about therapeutic diet and supplemental nutrients in your book. Can you please elaborate upon that? Well, again, the key player here is we've got to get the toxins out of the brain. And we're not talking about DDT and fluoride and uh, uh, 5-marisol preservatives in, uh, in uh, immunizations. I'm talking about simple things like carbohydrates and sugar. You know, people don't recognize that is a powerful brain toxin, and it's a brain toxin that every one of us is exposed to every single day. So the big message here is, again, a revolutionary new diet plan, one that's so new that we've only been doing it for about 99.9% .9 of the time we've been on this planet. And that is we've got to stop challenging the brain with free radicals and inflammation that are brought about because of our high-carbohydrate, low-fat diet. So we've got to reintroduce fat to the dining room table, good fats, olive oil, nuts, seeds, grass-fed beef, avocado, wild fish. And to be clear, I'm not talking about the modified trans fats that are found in baked goods and, uh, you know, on, in the products that have a shelf life of three years. The oils that, you know, the corn oil and the soy oil that are on the grocery store shelves that will stay there forever till somebody buys them. Talking about good, natural, uh, organic sources of fats that, that we could all gravitate to. These are brain foods. These are immune-boosting foods. These are foods that reduce your risk for diabetes. And again, the reason that's important is because if you become a type 2 diabetic based upon your inappropriate food choices, you double your risk for Alzheimer's disease, a disease for which there is no treatment. By and large, becoming this type 2 diabetic is a choice based upon the foods that we choose to consume. So the foods that are high in carbs and sugar pave the way for diabetes. That will double a person's risk for Alzheimer's. And, you know, your chances of getting Alzheimer's anyway, if you live to be age 85, are already 50-50. 
So becoming a diabetic, and you're in big, big trouble, and you don't have to become diabetic. Eat less carbs, eat more fat. For parents who are listening to this program right now, what are the first five things that they can do right away to begin the road of healing for their children? I think the first thing is to, uh, that you've got to institute a dietary change. The younger, the better. The younger kids are before they start eating a lot of sweets, a lot of sugar, uh, the, the less they'll tend to gravitate towards them. So, you know, a higher fat, you know, breast milk is so high in fat. And believe it or not, 50% of the fat in human breast milk is saturated fat, you know, that dreaded saturated fat that we're all told that we have to avoid. There's nothing wrong with saturated fat. In fact, it's, it's a very, very helpful, very, very important food, good for the heart, good for the brain, good for the immune system. And again, I'm talking about saturated fat. You know, we've been programmed over the years, oh, that's the devil. We don't want to come anywhere near that. You know, obviously trans fats and modified fats we should avoid. But again, we've been eating saturated fat for millions of years. So number one for our children is we've got to get them eating the right food. Who knew? <laughs> food is medicine. Medicine is food. Get them off of the carbs, off of the sugars. Identify the hidden sources of carbs that you think might be good. Don't start their day with a glass of orange juice. Start their day with a glass of something called water. Who knew? What a great beverage. That's number one. Number two, our kids have got to become more active. Uh, kids these days are far more sedentary than these. We've got to get them off the couch. We've got to make sure they're getting adequate amounts of vitamin D by getting out in the sunshine or taking a supplement. Make sure that they're not getting antibiotics every time they have a sniffle or a sore ear. Uh, and make sure if they do take antibiotics that they're getting aggressive probiotics. So these are really the ways, uh, I think, to keep kids healthy, reduce the risk of ADHD, breastfeed our kids, have them born by natural childbirth as opposed to cesarean section. These are the ways to prime the immune system and keep them healthy, reduce the risk of things like ADHD. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Perlmutter, thank you for writing this important yet engaging and easy-to-read book, Grain Brain. And um, listeners, again, you can find this at your favorite bookstore and also visit drperlmutter.com or grainbrainbook.com. Dr. Perlmutter, your website also links to your health center. Is that true? It does. Uh, the health center is there. Uh, in addition, as I mentioned, all the science that we've talked about is there. And there will be, uh, in another couple of weeks, um, uh, again, a listing for my upcoming public television program, which begins on uh, Nationwide March the 3rd, but will be running throughout the month, uh, the, the month of March. Well, thank you again for sharing this uh, avant-garde wake-up call kind of information with us today. I'm happy to do it, and thanks for having me, Terry. Oh, you are quite welcome. It was a pleasure. And to our listeners, please also register for the Autism One 2014 conference, which is being held May 21st through 25th in Chicago with over 100 speakers for five days of lectures and relaxing evening special events. That's at www.autismone.org. My guest next week is Dr. Jerry Tennant. Thank you to this program's sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism and their fast-forward technology. Please visit www.brainprolearning.com and call 855-308-1362. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. 